Welcome back to What We Believe and Why. Bad doctrine, bad teaching, the creeds. Can you lose your salvation over these things? That's what we're unpacking at the moment. Here's Pastor George. The church believed the earth was the center of the universe. The idea actually comes from Pythagoras, who lived from 570 to 495 B.C., and his students. He imagined the earth was the center and all the planets moved around it, embedded in concentric, invisible crystal spheres. The outermost sphere had stars embedded in it. Perhaps you recall the famous hymn which begins, This is my Father's world, and to my listening ears all nature sings, and round me rings the music of the spheres. The Pythagoreans studied music and musical intervals and believed that the spheres in which the planets were embedded must produce a sound because they were of different sizes and arranged together at specific harmonic intervals from the earth. This is the origin of the music of the spheres in this famous hymn. Although it was written in 1901 when everyone knew the sun was the center of the solar system. In Galileo's time, everyone knew that the earth was the center of a set of concentric crystal spheres. Well, not everyone. Nicholas Copernicus, who lived from 1473 to 1543, early in the 16th century, formulated the heliocentric model with the sun as the center. A century later, Galileo spoke out publicly in favor of this view. The Roman Catholic Church condemned this view and said it was contrary to Scripture, or more accurately, contrary to doctrine arrived at because of a Greek philosopher's ideas. The Church told Galileo to stop advocating his view, and he promised that he would. But he later published Dialogue Concerning the Two Chief World Systems, which strongly affirmed heliocentrism. Galileo was arrested, declared vehemently suspect of heresy, was forced to deny what he had affirmed, and was kept under house arrest for the rest of his life. Galileo disagreed with church doctrine and disobeyed the order to keep quiet. Is he therefore going to hell? No. The church said Galileo was wrong about doctrine. In fact, the church's doctrine was wrong because the Pythagoreans were wrong. The Roman Catholic Church in 1992 issued a formal apology to Galileo for how they had mistreated him. This example is about getting doctrine wrong. The Bible doesn't say the earth is the center of the universe, but the church developed that concept, believing it to be implied in Scripture, because the Greeks believed it. And the Greeks were the foundation upon which all philosophy and theology was built. The church required its members to believe the concept they had embraced. So, if Christians don't agree with the church's concept, do they get unsaved and go to hell? No. Getting doctrine wrong doesn't unsave you. It may take you out of harmony with the church. In fact, if the church is right about an issue of doctrine, it will take you out of harmony with God. But it doesn't get you unsaved. You don't end your salvation that easily. Well, how about disagreeing with the Nicene Creed? 
either in full or in part. If you do that, do you go to hell? No. I think the Nicene Creed is valuable. The doctrine is clear. I find it an excellent short exposition of what Christians believe. Understanding the creed and coming to the point of accepting what it says can be a valuable part of sanctification. But it is not about salvation. It is important, enormously important, to make that distinction. Well, what about a leader in the church who teaches something that is contradictory to what Scripture says? Consider, I knew a pastor who was teaching modalism which insists that there aren't really three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Rather, there is just one, and sometimes he wears different masks. Sometimes he acts in the mode of the Father, sometimes in the mode of the Son, sometimes in the mode of the Holy Spirit. It's called modalism because he behaves in those different modes, but is really, in their concept, just one person acting like three. This idea has been rejected by the church for some 1,700 years. It's rejected because of the obvious implication that God is a fraud. He pretends. So the question is, if I am a teacher in the church and I have been saved, but then I teach modalism, do I go to hell? If I am a false teacher, do I get unsaved? That is a really important question. Scripture is very clear about false teachers in the church. It says that teachers will be held to a higher standard. But what happens to a teacher who teaches wrong doctrine? We will look at the Scripture. Before we go there, I want to make again the key point about salvation. If any of these things that I do are sinful, can get me unsaved, then that means I am responsible day by day for my salvation— because if I sin, I am not saved anymore. That would mean I had substituted myself for Jesus and had asserted that his act on the cross, his death, his willing sacrifice of himself for me, wasn't sufficient. It didn't do the whole job. It was only a partial job, and I have to do the rest of it. The fact of the matter is that we can't be, and thankfully don't have to be, our own Savior because his act was complete. In Romans 5, 8, in the New King James, it says this, But God demonstrates his own love toward us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And then in Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, again in the New King James, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. My response to this is profound thanksgiving, because I know myself to be a sinful man. It is certain that with the greatest integrity I can muster, with the greatest care I can take in my study of Scripture and the church in history, I will teach something that is wrong, and I will believe it when I teach it. Do I get unsaved when I do that? Even as I speak these words— I believe God is holding me to a very high standard, so I'm really serious when I study and when I teach, but there have to be areas where I'm wrong. There are other teachers in the church who I believe are in grave error. If people are being intentionally misled by a false teacher, then as far as many people are concerned, such a teacher should go to hell. But we are not the judge. We don't make those decisions. God decides.
Paul writes about teachers in 1 Corinthians 3, again in the New King James. He's talking about the teachers in the church, Apollos and himself among others, and about how God regards the work they do. He says this, For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear. For the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. Paul is talking about teachers. But what he goes on to say also applies more broadly to every believer. But here he is addressing teachers, good and bad, in the church. Everyone's work will be put through the fire to see whether or not it keeps its value. His illusion is about refining gold. When you take gold that has impurities and heat it to a liquid state, the impurities float to the top. You can then scrape them off and throw them away, and the gold is preserved. If you have gold mixed with hay and straw and you put this mix in the fire, the hay and straw will be burned up. Their ash will be scraped off and discarded. The gold will survive. Everyone's work, especially those who are leaders and teachers in the church, will be put through the fire to see whether it keeps its value. If the work survives the fire, that builder will receive a reward. But if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. But will he go to hell? No. The builder will suffer great loss, but the builder himself will be saved, like someone escaping through a wall of flames. So, can you lose your salvation by sinning, whether you are a believer or a leader in the church? The short answer is no. God doesn't say, now that you've been saved, go ahead and sin all you want. Read Romans 6. It makes it clear we're not supposed to sin. But in Romans 7, Paul bewails how, as much as he desires to be free of sin, he still is not. Then in Romans 8, he says, But there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus is really good at saving us. He doesn't need our help to do it. He doesn't need our righteousness or our works. We can't boast about earning our salvation. It's possible to abandon salvation But it is not by simple sin. Jesus' sacrifice was complete and sufficient. Our struggle against sin, our maturing as believers, our growth in character, our deepening understanding of Scripture and belief, our worship, our learning to love God, neighbor, and enemy, our learning to live and love as Jesus did, these are all sanctification. They are core to living and growing as a Christian and fulfilling the covenant God has made with us. They are vital, inescapable, profoundly important, and we should enter into them with utmost gravity. These things begin at our salvation, our spiritual birth, but they themselves are sanctification, our life in Christ. Well, with that powerful wrap-up, we hope you join us next time for another edition of What We Believe and Why.